Welcome to another inspirational message from Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor of Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Southeast Texas. We're so glad you're joining us. For more information about Golden Triangle Church on the Rock Ministries, visit our website, cotr.com. Enjoy the word. The Word of God. Hey, we're going to be going this morning to a passage from the fourth chapter of the Gospel of John. And uh, today we're going to be talking about the fountain, specifically um, um, a fountain that uh, you can possess, okay? Uh, And as we are turning to the Gospel of John, I have uh, a a couple of other pictures I want to show you. And I apologize for their quality, okay? But it was a hazy day uh, uh, when, when, uh, when, uh, I, I, I took these pictures. I didn't take all of them, but I was there, uh, taking some of them. Um, this is a picture overlooking the modern day city of Nablus. Okay. Okay. Now, uh, let me, let me give you the setting. This is in the Northern portion. Well, it's, it's about 35 or 40 miles North of Jerusalem. Okay. It's in the area, uh, that, that we know as Samaria. All right. And uh, if you'll look at that picture there, uh, uh, I'm standing on Mount Gerizim. The mount across the way is Mount Ebal. Okay? You can read in the Old Testament. You can find out about these. And that city of Nablus there, this is the old city that is referred to in the Bible by several different names. It's the city of Shechem. Okay? You might remember uh, 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 the city of Shechem because that is the very first place that Abraham built an altar in the promised land. When God sent Abraham uh, to the land that he was going to give to him and his descendants, uh, he sent them and he stopped there in this particular little place, in this little valley called Shechem. And uh, it's, it's where he built his altar. In fact, if you look in the very middle, of uh, look down and look a little bit to the left, kind of left center, you will see a little ring of stones there. That is the very place where Abraham, those are the ruins uh, of of, of Abraham's altar that Abraham built there to Jehovah to dedicate this land to him. In fact, let me me, uh, uh, show you perhaps, here's a little closer view of the ruins of that altar. See that? That's uh, looking down on it. Now, uh, this particular city is also referred to in the Gospels as the city of Sychar. All right? Shechem, Sychar. You know, as, as uh, generations pass, sometimes names change. You know, but basically, it's the very same place. In fact, this is also the city that Philip went to and preached the very first missions trip from the first church in Jerusalem. He preached there in the city and preached in Samaria. And and, uh, where I'm standing here uh, is actually in the old city of Samaria, in the region of Samaria. Okay, if you can understand that. And today, 800 Samaritans still live in this little city. This is all Palestinian-controlled territory. It's one of the most dangerous places you can go on the face of the earth. Uh, If you are uh, um, non-Palestinian, non-Hamas. However, these Samaritans, which are neither Arabs nor Jews, as they see themselves, they have lived there since whenever, and there's still 800 of them living in this little uh, village here. And so... uh, and. here it is again over, uh, over my shoulder there. What I'm doing is uh, we, we taught 
several, uh, I did several different television programs from this particular spot and from the cities that are right in this region. And uh, uh, this is the place that, uh, Shechem is the place that Jacob purchased, okay, from a man named, from a, from a, from a man named Shechem. If you'll read that uh, story, you can find out about that. Anyway, it's a very Bible-rich place, and uh, Jacob originally bought this. And 450 years after Jacob purchased this, this is where, after the children of Israel went down into Egypt, and they were led back out by Moses and spent 40 years in the wilderness. They carried the bones of Joseph. This is the place they went to bury the bones of Joseph. Joseph's tomb is right there. Okay? But not only is Joseph's tomb there, it's a very Bible-rich place. Uh, uh, and, and, and as I said, it, it's, it's, it's under uh, a Palestinian control, but not just Palestinian control, it's radical Palestinians live here. When I was there last, 14 of the 18 political seats were held by Hamas. Okay? And they were very uh, radical and very uh, you know, uh, um, uh, engaging. In fact, I've been, uh, I've been escorted out of there by military uh, more than one time okay, uh, for protection's sake. Uh, and if you want to go there with me sometimes and visit Joseph, you know, the bones of, of Joseph, you can go. But last time I was there, they had blown the top off the building. Uh, because some people had visited it and they didn't want people visiting it. But hey, come on! Uh, you know, uh, why not? Well, there are several other important biblical sites associated with this relatively small piece of ground. One of the biblical sites that you will see if you visit Shechem, Sychar, Nablus, you know, the valley of, of Shechem, there between Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, one of the things you will see is Jacob's well. Okay? In fact, if you can look in the very middle of this picture, you'll see a building that has, you know, you won't see it very good, I apologize, but it has some, a little, little uh, red dome and some other little red roofs. If you can see it in the very middle, that's Jacob's well. They built that building over Jacob's well right here. And, uh, uh, you know, this is the well that, that supplied water for Jacob. He purchased it, and it's where his sons drank from, and it's where his family drank from, and it's where his livestock drank from, okay? This is Jacob's well, a wonderful place to visit. And, uh, and uh, this is where the descendants of, 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 of you know, they, they really believe the Samaritans, that they are tied to this place because of Jacob and because of what Moses said, that when you go into the promised land, you shall worship on Mount Gerizim. And so there's, uh, I, I could show you pictures of churches, uh, not churches, but synagogues on Mount Gerizim where uh, they still worship today. In fact, I was able to go and visit with the high priest there during uh, the week before their Passover sacrifice. And he took me around and showed me how he was going to sacrifice the lambs, how they do this, and the high priest of the Samaritans, how they sacrifice and how they do their Passover. Still traditional. Uh, it, 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 was, it was amazing. Suffice it to say uh, that, uh, that um, the Jews in Jesus' time, and indeed today, uh, believe that Samaritans are not the true descendants of Jacob. But the Samaritans believe that the Jews are not the true descendants of Jacob. So here's this, this argument back and forth, and it's been going on you know, since before the time of Jesus. Okay? 
uh, you know, uh, 300, 400 years before Jesus, there was this argument going on. The Samaritans felt as though that they were the rightful heirs and they were worshiping on the hill where Moses said worship and they had Jacob's well and they, they, even, they even have a copy of the Ten Commandments that if you read, there was a copy made, commanded by Joshua for a copy to be made and they have this copy, they say. I haven't seen it, uh, but, uh, but you know, I, I've talked to some people that said they have. And uh, uh, they, they, you know, the Samaritans didn't like the Jews and the Jews didn't like the Samaritans, each one of them claiming to be the rightful heirs, each one of them claiming that, you know, one says we're supposed to worship on this mountain and one says we're supposed to worship on this mountain. One's worshiping on Mount uh, Gerizim and one's worshiping on Mount Moriah. One is in Samaria, one is in, in, uh, in, in Jerusalem. In fact, that's where the two kingdoms were. One king, the king of the ten northern tribes, was in Samaria. And he had, you know, prophets surrounding him, you know, Elijah and Elisha. And here, you know, there, there was a, 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 you know, a kingdom in, in Jerusalem with the kingdom of Judah. And, and they were just, you know, were constantly divided between people who were Samaritans. Both groups believe the other group is wrong. Both groups believe the other group is intolerant. Both groups believe that the other group is, is, is prejudiced. Both groups believe that the other group doesn't like them and they don't like one because the other one doesn't like them. And they're just, they were just always yelling. In fact, you know, uh, it, it, it goes deeper than that, actually. Uh, you know, uh, it's interesting that they both worship Jehovah but they won't worship together. Never have, still don't. How silly is that? It seems that early in the second year of Jesus' ministry, of his public ministry, he's 31 years old now, and he's been ministering for, you know, in, in the Galilee, in that region, for about a year, just maybe a little over a year. And he decides he's going to go down to Jerusalem and take his disciples down to Jerusalem. Now, he went to Jerusalem on the preferred Jewish route. That route took him on the east side of the Jordan River, and he walked south down to Jericho. That's just the way you went. Why? Was it the closest way? No. The closest way from the Galilee to Jerusalem was through Samaria. But you didn't go to Jerusalem through Samaria because of two reasons. Number one, the Samaritans didn't really appreciate you coming through their land on your way to worship at a place that they didn't think you should be worshiping at. So they weren't necessarily hospitable, they weren't helpful, and, you know, they could be hateful. So, one reason. A second reason why you didn't walk from the Galilee, south through Samaria, to go to the temple in Jerusalem is because walking through that land of the Samaritans, you could become unclean. And you would have wasted your whole trip to the temple if you got there and had interacted with these Samaritans along the way and you got unclean and you were no longer allowed to go into the temple area and worship or pray or make your offerings. And so, I mean, it was kind of, you know... I'd have to wait seven days after I got there. It's kind of like quarantine, you know. Got to wait, you know, 14 days after I get there. Well, um, so they didn't go through Samaria on their way to Jerusalem. They went around a different way. Well, Jesus, 
we know that he did this. That's, you know, the last time he made this trip, he went that way, and that's where he met Zacchaeus in Jericho. You would go down to Jericho, and then you would go up to Jerusalem. Well, Jesus made that trip that year with his disciples. And while he was in Jerusalem, Jesus taught and he preached and he healed and people started following him. You know, it's just as like his, his first year in ministry here, you know, and he's in, now in Jerusalem and people in the Galilee had, 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 had witnessed his ministry. But now in Jerusalem, people were saying, yeah, yeah, this might be the Messiah. And so a lot of people were being baptized to become a follower of this Jesus of Nazareth. They were being baptized, although Jesus did not baptize him, yet his disciples baptized many. So many people were beginning to follow Jesus that the Pharisees in Jerusalem took notice of Jesus and they began to have some concerns. And of course, Jesus, knowing that his time was not yet, he decided he would leave Jerusalem and go back to Galilee. Okay? Are you with me here? That's where we are up to John chapter 4. So here in John chapter 4, verse 1, reading from the New King James Version, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples. Jesus left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour, noon, noon time. Verse 7, A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to Jesus, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, 
Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up unto everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Now, if you have not read this account before or if it's been some time and you're not as familiar with it as you once were, let me encourage you to please read the rest of the story. Read the whole story. There are so many life principles that we can draw from this one encounter when we set it in context and properly interpret the Scripture according to Jesus' intent. The response, however, that this woman had to what Jesus was offering her is what we're going to focus on this morning. You see, this woman's response, I will call it a normal, sane response. That when someone offers you something so wonderful, something that you cannot imagine even being possible, this woman's response, you know, uh, was normal. But what is normal to one person is not normal to every person. During our recent missions trip to Arizona, we were helping there and working hard. Our team was fortunate to have a, a missionary on our team who shared with us a daily devotional. He's from Honduras. He's a missionary to America. Okay? And he shared with us each morning. He opened the Word of God with us and shared us our morning daily devotionals. And in one of these morning devotionals, he shared about being normal, being a normal Christian. What is normal for us who have received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? What, what, what makes, you know, what, 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 why are we different? What's normal for us? After having shared that and, and we talked and we discussed it, I went away from there embracing a reality that what we do as Christians, what we should do, and the reflection that we should uh, you know, have in our life reflecting the image of Christ should be normal to us. I came away with a greater understanding of what a true encounter with Jesus does to a person. What a true encounter will do when, when Jesus offers you an opportunity to come into your life and to give you and more than just a drink of water, but to give you a fountain of living water. What, what should change in our life? What should, what should we leave there? You know, people who have not met Jesus... They might feel that it is completely normal to be prejudiced, racially prejudiced, to be economically prejudiced. They may imagine that you could be class or culturally prejudiced. People might imagine it's completely normal to hate. 
People who have not met Jesus might believe it's normal to, 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 to harbor anger or resentment or to steal or to engage in immoral behavior. People might think it's completely immoral. People might think everybody does this. Well, let me tell you, the world and what's normal for the world is not normal for the born-again believer in Jesus Christ. People who are of the world who have never met Jesus might think it is normal to do drugs or to cuss, to lie, to cheat, or to live a selfish or a sinful lifestyle. They might think that is normal because everyone they know does this. It's the world I was raised in. It's what we do. It's what everybody does. However, when we meet Jesus, He changes our normal. Amen? I wrote that in red, so they'd put it up there. Let's do that one more time. When we meet Jesus, He changes our normal. Something powerful happens. Souls, minds, hearts are transformed. We are no longer the same, and we should not be the same. And we should never backslide. We should never slide back into what is normal for the world. We should never try to be more like the world. And if we do become more like the world, we are in a state of having removed ourselves from the presence of God who saved us, who gave His Son for our life, and who changed us, who created in us a new creature. Old things passed away and all things became new, and all things are of God who hath reconciled us through Christ unto himself. Things should change in our lives. And we should find a new normal. This Samaritan woman, for example, she came to the well believing one thing, and she left the well believing something completely different. The rest of the story, you can find out about this woman. You can find out that she had been married five times. You can also find out that the man that she was living with was not even her husband. You can also, if you look into the cultural setting, you can understand why she went to the well at noon in the heat of the day. Because there were two times you went to the well. In the morning time, you would go to draw your water, and in the evening time. But you know, in the morning time, when the women went to draw the water, none of those women wanted anything to do with her. They didn't want her around. They might throw rocks at her because she might even be living with one of their husbands. And she probably had five of their husbands. They wouldn't let her come to that well. Not in the morning time. And in the evening time, you think that they're going to let her go to that well with her husbands? No, we, not, we don't want her nowhere around our husbands. One of them might feel obligated or obliged to carry her water home for her. That's how she got the last guy. She was an outcast in her community. She was not appreciated. She had a reputation no one wants. So here at high noon, in the hottest time of the day, 
in a very difficult situation, this woman comes to the well. And guess who's there waiting on her in her lonely moment, in a moment whenever no one else wants to be with her, in a moment that no one else thinks anything about her, in a moment, you know, Robert, in a moment in a jail cell when nobody else wants anything to do with you. Here's Jesus. You see, the Bible says, I love the King James Bible, it says this, he must needs go through Samaria. Jesus had an appointment. Jesus had an appointment all by himself sitting at the well, and here comes the woman all by herself. He knew what she was going through. He knew what she was experiencing. He knew who she was, and yet he's sitting right there waiting on her. And she comes to the well, and he said, give me a drink. Whew! What a plan! <laughs> what a plan. There is no doubt this woman changed at the well that day. One moment it was normal for her to hate Jews, and the next moment she wanted to introduce everybody she knew to the king of the Jews. <laughs> yeah, come on now. That's a pretty good stuff. All of you out there in TV land, come on now. That's pretty good stuff. One moment she hated Jews. And the next moment she wanted to introduce people to the king of Jews. I have a friend in Haifa, Israel, that was willing. He told me he and his wife, willing. They, they, they're Palestinian. They were willing to strap on a bomb and go and blow up Jews one day. And the next day after they got born again, now they are in love with, with, every, with everybody. Not just with Jews, but with everybody, including the Jews. He says, I can't tell you how it happened. He stood in this pulpit and preached for us. I can't tell you how it happened, but I can tell you that it happened. Something changed on the inside of me. But let me tell you something. It's something you got to hold on to. It's something you got to get a hold of. It's got something you got to keep. It's something you got to work on. It's something you got to keep saying no to the devil. It's something that you can't allow yourself to slide back, grow cold. It can't get old. You got to stay in there. You got to work on yourself. I love what that woman said whenever he told her. If you knew who I was, you'd ask me for a drink. And I'd give you a drink that would last you forever. Not just a drink of water. I would give you a fountain on the inside of you of living water that springs up unto eternal life. She said, give me this water. <laughs> Woo, man, come on. I'm going to get Pentecostal if y'all don't watch out here. I may just take off running. Give me this water. Give me this water. Who, who in their right mind does not want to be changed? Who in their right mind does not want to get out of hatred and anger? Who in their right mind does not want to get out of a reputation that you deserve but you don't want anymore? Who in their right mind doesn't want to have a wellspring of life so that they don't have to work so hard and be alone and, and be lonely? Who in their right mind doesn't want a good drink of Jesus? Give me this water, she said. That's the only sane and normal thing to do. When you find something that you've always longed for but you never knew existed, it's time to say yes. And that's what she did. 
Whoever drinks of Christ receives a fountain of water. You see, when you receive Christ, you don't just get a drink of water. You become the fountain. She didn't just have a life change. If you'll read the story, she went back into the city, and she went ahead at great expense to her reputation. You know, people aren't wanting to listen to her. They aren't wanting to believe her. They aren't wanting to accept her. But something about her had changed. She was carrying an anointing. She was carrying a message. Something they could see about her was different because she went in and told all them, come and see a man. Come and see a man. Come and, come and you, know, this, this is, you know, this is Messiah. Come on. And they went ahead intrigued and went out there there and they met Christ and they believed and they gave their lives to him what a message from this woman who dared to even tell her enemies and those people who had been mean to her and those people who had you know rejected her her own community she went and and you know told them about Christ it wasn't just her prejudice against Jews she lost she lost most likely her resentment, her hurt, her bitterness, her anger, her frustration, her betrayal. She lost all the pain of that. Who does not want to drink of that water? This woman at the well experienced Christ, and she wanted everybody to know about it. You see, if you are born again, let me, let me, let me just cut to the chase here. If you are born again... And you don't want to tell others about Jesus, you're not normal. You're not a normal Christian. Oh, come on now. You might say, well, everybody else is just like me. Oh, no, y'all are more like the world then. If you want to tell people about Jesus, it's not normal to have received a fountain of living water and been forgiven of your sins and accepted into the eternal glory of Almighty God as a son or a daughter of Him and not want to tell somebody else about it, especially your children and your children's children and your in-laws and your outlaws. And, you, know, you know, one of the first people I would want to tell is my biggest enemy. Because when a man's ways please the Lord, the Lord will even make his enemies be at peace with him. Who is it that's persecuting you? Go tell them about Jesus. Who is it doesn't like you? Go tell them about Jesus. Who is it that done you wrong? Go tell them about Jesus. Who is it that robbed from you, cheated you? Who is it that betrayed you? Go tell them about Jesus. That's normal. That's what we see from the disciples. That's the model we have. That's the example we have. If you're born again and, and you don't want to forgive others, if you're born again and you don't want to go to church, that's not normal. It's not normal. You know, tell people you need to be in church, whether it's online church because of the differences and the difficulties we have with COVID or the distances or here on campus. But if you don't long to congregate with other believers, then it's not normal. It's just not normal. If you don't want to read your Bible, it's not normal. If you don't want to pray, you're not normal. This is pretty good, huh? Yeah. 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 Uh, listen, this hit me first. Y'all know everything that I preach, I got to go through myself first. I go, oh, Lord, help me, Jesus. Oh, here's a good one. If you are born again 
and you don't want to financially support the work of the Lord so other people can be born again, that's not normal. Something's wrong with you. If you think more of your money than you do of souls, something's wrong with you. You're not, you're not normal. If you are born again and you are always angry, frustrated, aggravated, irritated, upset, worried, hard to get along with, afraid, something's wrong with you. Hello? That's the truth. But hey, I won't leave you there. I'll tell you in a minute how to fix it. Okay? <laughs> I'm not going to leave you here. I just want to make sure you know where you are. The fountain of life that is within you, if you are born again, the fountain of life that is in you should not be spewing muddy water. If you're born again and you are still getting drunk, still participating in office gossip. Oh, man, I done gone to meddling now, hadn't I? <laughs> Pastor Marcus, let me talk to you about it, okay? <laughs> I know, I know you're going to amen me. Amen. Yeah. Come on, everybody say glory. glory. All right. I got, I got one in heaven that's shouting glory when I'm preaching this, by the way. Amen. If you are born again and you hate people because of the color of their skin or because of their political views, that's not normal for a follower of Jesus. If you are born again and you are living an immoral lifestyle, if you're still doing drugs, if you're cold or ambivalent toward the things of Christ, if you're born again and you aren't trying to put a smile on God's face, that's not normal. It's not normal. It might be average, but it's not normal. If you're abusing others, if you're living in sin, listen, it's not normal for a believer or a follower of Jesus Christ to not try to be more like Jesus, to not try to use the disciples as an example. Now, this is not a word that's intended to condemn anyone, but it is a word that is intended to encourage you, to encourage you to say to yourself, I may need to do something about how I portray myself, what I think about, what I feel, what I allow myself to say or believe. What can you do about your life? Well, first of all, if you're not born again, okay, you're probably living like everybody else lives. You might even be a little better. But if you're not born again, you need to make Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life. Right now, you can do that right now. You don't have to come up here. You don't have to do anything. You don't, right there, you can say, Jesus, come into my heart, come into my life, be my Lord, be my Savior. You can receive him. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can do that right where you are. You can call upon him. You can, you can invite him into your heart, invite him into your life. You know you need help. You know, you recognize you need a Savior. You can repent of your sins by simply saying, I'm going to give my life to you now. You know, uh, forgive me for this. You know, here, here's my life. You know, help me. Come into my heart, Lord. Be my Savior. You can give your life to Christ. If you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth, you will be saved. But you know, most of the people that I talk to on a Sunday morning, whether it's on campus or online, are people who are born again. 
and they've allowed themselves, either, either they've never grown in Christ or they've allowed themselves to backslide. If you're not as close to Jesus as you have ever been, guess who moved? Now, what can you do about it? Well, bad news is it's going to take a little work. Good news is you can do it. Okay. Here's what the Holy Spirit gave us through the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians, the fourth chapter. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church there. And listen to what he says, verse 22. Put off. It's going to take a little effort. I, I imagine that when you go home today, if you change clothes, it's going to be because you took it off. You're probably not going to walk in your house and those are just going to melt away and new ones are just going to form. <laughs> if so, make sure you're really good and in your house. <laughs> but most likely, you're going to have to take off. That's what it means. Put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man. You've got to put off, you've got to put on. It's a process. But it works. As we renew our minds by the Spirit of God, it won't leave you a humdrum, dull, old, crabby person. It's not going to leave you judgmental and critical. It's not going to leave you somebody that has no fun. But it means you're going to have a reflection of Christ. But it takes some work. That we put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. You can continue to read all the things there the Apostle Paul said we should do. But in closing, if you are a born-again believer and you're not living the life as a disciple of Christ and you would like to, then let me give you these three simple steps, okay? And by the way, Jesus, you know, this is not a suggestion for the followers of Christ. These are instructions that are critical to the plan of God. Just like this little woman, she could have met Jesus and kept it all to herself, but she went and changed her whole community because she went and shared what had happened to her. That's what He intends for us. Number one, I encourage you, as your pastor, as your friend, let me encourage you, put off the old man if you have been born again and received Christ as Lord and Savior begin the process and it is a process and it can take some time but step into that process engage in this responsibility when you see yourself acting feeling being a way that does not please Jesus the Holy Spirit is going to remind you and you put it off. You put it off. You flee it. You throw it down. You get some help if you need some help. Get some counseling if you need some counseling. Go, you know, pray. Get on your knees. Fast. Seek God. Because you can break that habit. You can break that chain. You can break that yoke. You can do it. Put it off. Put off the old man. Number two. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You know, that's going to take you changing the way you think. 
Perhaps you need to change the way you think about black people. Maybe you need to change the way you think about white people. Maybe you need to change the way you think about East Indians. Maybe you need to change the way you think about Asians. Maybe you need to change the way you think about Hispanics. Maybe you need to challenge yourself to change the way you feel about rich people, poor people, people under the bridge. Maybe you need to realize that what Coach said this morning is a reality. God sees no color. He doesn't see one person rich and one people poor and think one of them is better than the other. God loves everyone. Perhaps we need also to renew our mind, to change how we think and make it line up to the way God thinks. God so loved the world he gave His only begotten Son. And the very people that were crucifying Christ, putting nails in His hands and His feet, piercing His side, spitting on Him, slapping Him, mocking Him, He cried out, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Let's let that attitude be on us. Let's be more like Christ because if they knew what they were doing, if they knew the Jesus that I knew, then they would feel like I feel. Oh, let's renew our minds. And we do that by the Word of God through prayer, through fellowship with other saints who are sane and normal followers of Christ. Then number three, we put on the new man which was created according to God. When we don't look godly, when we don't act godly, we need to put some more of God on. And again, we do that through prayer. We do that through through uh, you know, uh, uh, reading the Word. We do that through to harness ourselves. You should be able to say no to yourself. That's the first indication that there might be a little bigger problem. It's when you can't tell yourself no. When you can't tell yourself don't, and when you can't tell yourself do. Make a commitment. God will help you. He's not going to judge you. It's not going to be critical judgment. He's not going to you know, uh, uh, cast you away. He's not going to chastise you in his hot displeasure. He's going to help you like a loving father helps a child who wants to get better. Who wants to, what father would not help his child do better when the child is asking and willing to work with you? That's where you are today. You have the chance to be a fountain of life. Thanks again for joining us for another encouraging word from Pastor Ron Hammonds. Visit cotr.com and subscribe to our social media platforms to stay up to date. As well, receive more encouraging messages from our pastor and details of the work we're doing both in our community and communities like ours around the world. Today and every day, God bless.